If you would, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13? We're going to be in the text of scripture that pastor preached from last week. How many enjoyed the message last week? How many of you have been enjoying this, this series of messages that we're in? Amen. It's, it's been an incredible time. Uh, before I forget, I just want to greet all of our first-time guests. If it's your first time here, we are honored and delighted that you've joined us here this morning. Amen. See, Inspire Church, can we welcome our first-time guests? Let's make them feel at home. If it is your first time, we just want to say this. After service, we want to meet with you. There's a conference room out here to the left. After service, if you wouldn't mind just making your way to that room, ask someone for help. To help you get there to the left. We want to meet with you, but we're so glad that you joined us this morning. And to everyone, this has been a crazy week. How many know this, this weather has been crazy? But we're so glad that you're here. If you were affected by the storm in, in any way, would you please let us know whether that's finding an usher, a leader, uh, filling out a prayer card? Would you let us know if you were affected so that we can be praying with you or help you in any way that we can? Amen. And uh, so grateful uh, that you're here with us this morning. But pastor has been speaking to us about the power of prayer. Everyone say prayer. Prayer. And uh, I don't know about you, but I I have literally been enjoying this series so much because how many of you believe in the power of prayer? You know, Corey Ten Boone used to say this, is that prayer is is, is either our, 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 our steering wheel or it's our spare tire, Right? And when we understand the power of prayer, it changes our life. And, you know, and this week uh, I, I was praying about what to speak about. And I was actually talking to a pastor and, you know, this whole week I planned to go a, a, a different direction. But I was at dinner on Friday night and I was having a conversation with someone. And while I'm sitting there, all of a sudden it was, it, it was interesting. Just as I'm sitting there, the Lord just kind of began to download a word in my heart. And I, as I was talking to them about a situation... A, a, a message, a word just began to come out of me. And I said, you know what? I, I know now what I'm supposed to speak about this week. And I'm going to stay in the flow of prayer. And this morning, I want to speak to you from the subject, the power. Someone say the power. power. I want to speak from you from the subject, the power of praying, prayers of repentance. Someone say prayers, prayers. of repentance. Before we go to our main text, this is what Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this. Paul says this, he says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Me personally, uh, I love speaking on the subject of repentance. As a matter of fact, it's one of my favorite things. And I'm kind of on a mission personally in my life as often as I can in preaching to recapture repentance from a religious mindset. See, a lot of times when people hear the word repent or repentance, we know we know the answer is, yeah, that's a good thing. But a lot of people have actually never experienced the goodness of God in repentance because the way they experienced it in a religious context is it was, it was uh, a, a negative. I mean, a lot of us uh, see those people preaching on the street corners. It says turn or burn, right? And, and the, the, focus, the focus of repentance sometimes is solely on the uh, subject of avoiding hell. Does that make sense? How many know are thankful that God does save us from that? Amen. But I want to tell you that it's about much more than fire insurance. Okay. Repentance 
is amazing. And I would go as far as to say this, and I have come to realize this, repentance is beautiful. Repentance is beautiful because it's the goodness. Someone say the goodness. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Are you with me this morning? Whenever we experience repentance in our lives, and by the way, it's impossible to repent apart from God because repentance itself is a gift from God, right? It's impossible to repent without his help, and it's a gift from God. And whenever we're brought into repentance, we're actually experiencing God's goodness. Isn't that good this morning? So confession is acknowledging that we've done wrong. Amen? How many know confession is beautiful? The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is just and able and willing to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Someone say amen. Amen. But how many know that repentance takes it a step further? Confession and repentance go hand in hand. But confession is acknowledging and, and, and admitting wrong. But repentance takes it further. Repentance is, is when we actually feel remorseful about what we've done, said, or thought. And it's a strong desire to turn away from that and to turn to God. Amen? Repentance is a feeling of remorsefulness over what we've thought, said, or done. And it's a strong desire to turn away from those things and turn fully to God. Amen? Today, this morning, I'm not, my goal is not to do a comprehensive overview of what repentance is. I just kind of want to lay a foundation and before I get into the preaching this morning. Is this okay this morning? It's important to note this, is that when the Bible speaks of repentance, it's really speaking of our heart and our mind. Repentance is turning our hearts from being postured away from God and it's turning our heart posture back to him. But the Bible also implies this is that repentance also is a change of thinking. Amen. And the Bible says this, it says godly sorrow leads to repentance. Someone said godly sorrow. Now it's important to note this, the sorrow we feel, Okay, a lot of times I think in the past, especially within a religious mindset, and you you do understand when I say religious mindset, I mean, you know, there's what we call good religion and bad religion. The Bible speaks of good religion, you know, the the religion of love, taking care of widows and orphans. We know that there's good religion, but how many know there's also toxic religion? And and, and a lot of times in, in a religious mindset, the sorrow is emphasized this way, is that people actually think that they're buying forgiveness with their sorrow. Understand this, the sorrow that's present, the remorse, and how many of you have felt that before? Over, over, uh, over sin or the way you've done things or the way you've thought, how many of you have genuinely felt a heart and spirit of repentance where you felt remorse, you felt the sting of it. But understand this, that sorrow, God is not saying, hey, I need tears before I can forgive you. 
That's not what's happening. God's not saying, you've got to fill up your sorrow tank before I can forgive you. No, actually, that's not true. Because the blood of Jesus purchased your forgiveness. Only the blood of Jesus purchases your forgiveness. He doesn't forgive you because you fill up a a, a bowl or a cup of enough sorrow. No, sorrow is what's going on inside of you because you come to an awareness of what's taking place in your life. You know what I love about this subject? See, if you want to know what is God doing in repentance, see, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. What is God doing when we're repenting? You know what he's doing? He's rejoicing. If you want to know what God is doing while we're repenting, he looks like the father in the story of the prodigal son. That as the son made his way home, the father said, okay, he's making his way back. You see, the Bible says that the son experienced the sorrow of repentance in the pigsty. But the father was waiting on the front porch, waiting for his son to come home so that he could celebrate. I need you to understand that when God is calling us to repentance, what he's really wanting to do is celebrate the recovery of what's been lost. Are you with me this morning? I I, I really am. I'm on a mission because I I, I love when, when you see what repentance is, it's beautiful. Turn your ear and say repentance is beautiful. It touches our hearts, it touches our mind. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your Do you know that every time you renew your, your mind, you're actually repenting? Because what you're doing is you're letting go of what you believed and you're exchanging a lie for the truth. And and this is why it's so important to understand repentance, because for so many of us, repentance is what we did when we first got saved. But I've come to this belief and conviction that repentance is a lifelong process of being transformed as we're renewed and made into the image of Christ. Is that right this morning? But here's what I want to say and I want to emphasize today. Is that repentance... What it really does for us is that it invites and it activates salvation to work in us and through us. Now, salvation, the word salvation literally means this, to be saved, to be healed, to be delivered. Amen. How many know that we're saved and we're being saved? How many know we're healed but how many know there's some things that we still need to be healed of? Right. Amen. How many know that he's delivered us, but how many of you can admit in this room that there are times in your life where you still need God to deliver you from something? And I'm here to tell you that nothing, in my, in my opinion, one of the things that activates salvation to begin to work in our lives is through repentance. You know, and this is why the enemy... If I could just be very, very frank. Can I be frank? And then I'm, 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 I'm done with my introduction. I'm going to preach this morning. I, I really do believe the enemy would love to take the word repentance out of our preaching. Because see, when repentance takes place, an exchange takes place. And if you don't have repentance, what you're saying is, God, I'll take what you, want, I'll take what you have, but I'll keep what I want. 
right? So when you move repentance, you actually remove transformation because there's actually an exchange that takes place. And how many know that the the way this works is I don't, it doesn't work that I I get to keep doing things my way. I keep to, you know, thinking my way and speaking my way and doing my way and getting God's way. That's not how it works. How many know I exchange my ways for his, I exchange my thoughts for his thoughts. Amen. So when you remove repentance, you actually remove the process that God uses to transform us. And you know what? The enemy would love to remove repentance from our preaching. But how many of you know today I, we're, we're at a church that we believe in the beauty and the gift of repentance? Amen. And by the way, this touches every area of our life. You know, so often when we think about repentance, we think about repenting from the big stuff. But how many of you know that repentance touches every area of our lives? Just this week, I was thinking about this. You know, there are some days, you know, I, I love my wife and I've been happily married for three years. And uh, <laughs> I'm still a newlywed. And, you know, when I got married, one of the first things that I learned, it didn't take me long in the marriage to, to realize this. I'll tell you what, if you're going to make your marriage work, you can't be selfish. <laughs> That's one of the first things I learned and I'm still learning every day. And, and, and I'll tell you how repentance, there are times where as a husband, I have to repent to God and say, God, help me to not be selfish. Seriously, no, I'm, 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 I'm being serious. Sometimes when we think of repentance, we think, God, we think of the big stuff. But what happens is that's where we miss out on the gift of repentance because it's meant to touch every area of your life. There are times where I have to go to God and I have to repent and say, you know, I, I'm sorry that I've been a, at times I'm selfish to my wife. Help me love my wife the way you love your church. Help me love my daughter the way that you love us, God. Help me love us. You see, repentance touches so many areas of our life. And sometimes we neglect the very gift, that very gift that God uses to transform us. It's very, very it touches every area of our life. But let, let's, turn to our, let's turn to our text, Luke chapter 13. I got to hurry. Luke chapter 13. Pastors preached from this subject last week. The power of prayer to change ourselves. Amen. And he spoke from this story in the book of Luke. And I'm going to read it really quickly, but I'm going to start in verse 1 because I want to show us something. It says that they were present at that season. They were present at that season, some who told him about the Galileans who Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than the others? Because they suffered such things. Jesus says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all also likewise perish. What's happened is, is they've come into Jerusalem and Pilate has slain some people and he actually mixed their blood with the, with the sacrifices that are being made on the altar at the temple. And this is a hot topic in Jerusalem at that time. And so they asked Jesus, And Jesus responds and tells them this. Do you think that that happened to them because they're worse sinners than everyone else? And he says, no. But isn't it interesting? He says this. Unless you repent, you will perish. Isn't it it interesting? Then he says this. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed, do you think that they were worse sinners than the other men 
who dwelt in Jerusalem. He says, I tell you not, but unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Interesting. What was going on is a tragedy had happened and they wanted a theological answer for it. God, did this happen because they were, because of their sins? You know, you see this throughout the gospels, the Jews, they were always looking for the right theological answer. Remember the man who needed a healing? And they said, Jesus, whose sins made this man blind? Right? And you know what Jesus does in this story? He uses this as a teaching moment. He says, look, those people were not worse sinners than anyone. It didn't happen. Pilate didn't kill them because they were sinners. He goes, but look, I'll tell you what, how about you focus on your own life? He says, unless you repent, you're going to perish. Listen, he's saying, you're worried about what happened to them and you're trying to find a theology. See, sometimes we're worried about this hurricane, about this natural disaster and about this and that. We're saying, God, why do these things happen? And God sometimes brings it back to a personal level and says, look, you're not going to get an answer that you want or that you like. But here's what I can tell you. Focus on your own life. Get your own house, your own self in order first. And they were literally concerning themselves with things that weren't helping them. And, and, and here, here's what I love about Jesus. This was actually very compassionate because Jesus was saying, listen, unless you repent, you're perishing. Here's the thing about sin. Sin doesn't cause you to perish once. You know, a lot, obviously we know about, you know, hell. We know about the punishment of hell, the torment there, all those things. But here's the thing about sin. Sin doesn't wait till hell to torment people. Sin torments people right now. I promise you it does. And Jesus in his mercy is saying, listen, I'm telling you, you need to turn your focus back to yourself. Because I'm telling you, unless you repent, you're going to perish. And then this is what he does in the very next verse. And I'm going somewhere. Are you with me this morning? In Luke chapter 13, verse 6, he says this. He also spoke a parable and he said, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and, and he came seeking fruit on it and he found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I have found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year. Until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. So Jesus opens this chapter where he's talking to his disciples about current events. And he brings it back and he says, look, don't worry about that. I'm telling you, focus on your life. Repent. Then the very next verses, he gives a, he gives a picture, an analogy. He tells a parable. And he says, there was a fig tree for three years. The vineyard, the, the, the person running it, the vineyard, was looking for fruit on the tree. And he says, but he found none. And what Jesus was actually doing was he was talking about the state of Israel because the fig tree in Scripture represents Israel. Remember, Jesus' ministry lasted three years. Jesus was saying, I've been walking around the fig tree. I've been walking around Israel for three years. And he says, I'm looking for fruit. I'm looking for fruit. And, and, and he says, what doesn't bear fruit is going to be cut away. But he says, no, leave it a little longer 
And we're going to fertilize it. We're going to dig around it. And see, that's, that's what the ministry of Jesus was doing. He was calling people to repentance. Why? Because it's only through repentance that we can bear fruit. We can bear fruit. Someone say, that's true. That's why when, when John the Baptist was preaching in the wilderness, the Pharisees came out to them. And man, I'm telling you, John was the type of preacher that didn't hold back. When the Pharisees came out to him in the wilderness, he said, you brood of vipers. <laughs> How many of you would like to be called a brood of, I mean, those are fighting words. He says, you brood of vipers. He said, repent. He says, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Repentance leads to fruit. So Jesus goes from repentance to fruit to, chapter, uh, to verse number 10. And this is where our text is from last week. He says, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and in no, and, and no way raise herself up. Can I point something out to you really quick? There are no coincidences in the scripture. He told them, don't concern yourself with 18 people who were killed at Siloam. But he says, pay attention to this miracle where I'm going to raise up someone who's been lame for 18 years. He uses the same number. He's trying to draw their attention away from what doesn't concern them to what does concern them. Because every, every person that Jesus heals in the gospels can speak to our life. We've all been in a place where we couldn't stand up. We've all been like the lame man who couldn't walk. We've all been like the blind man who couldn't see. We've all been like the lepers who we may not have physically had leprosy, but we've all been rotting away in the choices and mistakes and sins of our life. We've every single person in the Bible that Jesus heals, not only does he physically heal them, but we can see ourselves in their story. And so when he says, don't worry about the 18 people who the tower fell on, God has them. Watch this. I'm going to raise up a woman who hasn't been able to stand up for 18 years. 18 years. And it says this, but when Jesus saw her, he called to her and said to her, woman, you are free. You are loose from your infirmity. And he, and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Anytime Jesus preached the message, he always followed it with a miracle. Why? To validate what he's preaching. Right? Look at it. Every where you turn in the Gospels, he would teach something. He goes, I'm going to show you this is true, and I'm going to demonstrate the kingdom and power to you. In this chapter, the context is he's speaking about repentance. And here's what we can see from this chapter, but not just this chapter. Throughout the whole Bible, Jesus is leading us into a narrative. This is the pattern. This is the pattern of scripture that repentance always leads to healing. Repentance always leads to the miraculous. Are you, with, are you hearing me this morning? Repentance always leads to fruit. Repentance always makes way for God to do miracles. Second, I'll prove it to you. Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, someone say my people, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn. Someone say turn. And, and what? 
from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and what? Heal their land. You know what? People are looking, what, what is God saying to America? What's, I'll tell you what God is saying to every nation. Turn from your wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive your sin and I'll heal your land. What we need is a massive avalanche of repentance in the church, in America, and in the nations of the world. Because when we try to do things our way, in our way of thinking, it's always going to lead to death. But the spirit of repentance leads us to life. It leads to miracles, prosperity, wholeness, healing, restoration every single time. Someone say amen. Listen to what Peter, uh, uh, in the book of Acts... Acts 319 says, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Listen to what he says. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. (laughs) How many of you know this is true? Say amen. Amen. I got to hurry. I'm quickly running out of time. Here's here's the reality. I got to hurry. There's no way I'm going to get to everything today. Repentance attracts the grace and power of God. Here's why. Because it is a posture of humility and dependence upon God. Because we realize that there are, there are just some things that only he can do. That's really what I've come to say this morning. There's just some things that only he can do. That woman couldn't make herself stand up. That blind man could not make himself see. That the lame person could not make themselves walk. There's just some things that only God can do. But if I remain, if I try to remain in the driver's seat of my life, but I want God to come and do the miraculous, you know what? He waits. You know, the, you know, it's interesting. The Bible says he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, sometimes we think it's the enemy resisting us. And sometimes it's God. Who? Why, why would the enemy resist the proud? He wants you to be proud. It's not the enemy that resists the proud. It's God that resists the proud. It says that he resists it, but he gives grace to the humble. And when we come into a posture of repentance, we're humbling in our, ourselves and saying, God, you know what? I've come to this realization. I need help. I need my life straightened out. I need my finances straightened out. I need my marriage straightened out. And you know what? I've tried my way. I've tried his way. I've tried their way. I've, I've watched all the videos on YouTube and it's not working. I need to do things your way. And God says, okay, now you're at a place where I can heal you. Now you're at a place where I can restore you. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, of all the things, there's just some things that only God can do. And I'll tell you this, this is what I do know of one thing I'm certain in life. Seriously, there's one thing I am for sure certain about that we cannot change ourselves by ourselves. I mean, you know, we can change our diet, right? I can change my diet. And I mean, you know, if you change your diet, that'll have amazing effects in your life. You become healthier. You, you could live longer, all those things. How I many you know you can change your habits? Man, you change one habit, it can drastically alter your entire life. Those are things that are within the realm of your control. You can change certain ways of thinking. But let me tell you what I really come to learn. When it comes to the heart of a person, when it comes to the heart of a man or a heart of a woman, when it comes to changing a person's nature, when it comes to changing a heart, I have realized only God can do that. 
Only God can do that. Only repentance touches things that deep. And, and really quickly, my time is quickly running out. Here, here, here's what I want to tell you today. There's two things that we usually try to do to change ourselves. The first thing we try, we try religion. But how many know the religion don't work? When God, when Jesus performs this miracle, he does it at the synagogue. He does it in the presence of the religious leaders of the, of the day. And he does this incredible miracle to demonstrate this. The power is not in the form or the appearance of godliness. The power is in the person of Christ. <laughs> Jesus told this to the Pharisees. He told them so many times, you know, you look nice on the outside, but on the inside, you're, man, I'll tell you, these are fighting words. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. See, that's what religion does. It wants to clean up everything on the outside, say the right thing, speak the right thing, all, those, all of that's important. But how many know that if you don't get the inside right, it doesn't matter. And Jesus told them this. And see, that's what religion does. It teaches you to act the part, talk the part, try to walk the part. Religion will teach you about God, but it will keep you from true intimacy with him. And most importantly, religion has a form of godliness, but it doesn't have power. Religion wants to modify behavior. Jesus wants to transform the heart. Because Jesus knows if I can get to the heart of a man, if I can get to the heart of a woman from the heart, the Bible says, flows the issues of life. And the only thing that works that gets to the heart of a person is genuine repentance. See, the other thing that, that we try other than religion and they're really one and the same is we also try the route, route of self-reliance. You know, both religion and self-reliance really have their roots in the same place, pride. We actually think sometimes that, you know what, I can, I can straighten up my life. I can, I can change my way. I, I can get this together on my own. I, I can pick myself up. You know, and, and so, like I said, there's so many things that are, are within the realm of our control, our diet, our this or that. But let me tell you something. When it comes to matters of your heart and, and salvation and God doing miracles, let me tell you something. There's just some things that only he can do. There are things that you and I can't do for ourselves that we need him to do for us. Are you with me today? And this is why in Psalm 51, this is, I have to close. Wow, time flies. Psalm 51. Turn with me if you, if you got your Bible. Psalm 51 verse 10. Religion teaches us that we've got to behave ourselves into right, into being right. God says, I'll make you right by changing your heart and you'll live from the inside out, right? That's what repentance produces, inside out. Self-reliance says, you know what? I got to do everything in my own strength. Do you know that trying to do everything in your own strength, that's, that's an atheistic way of believing. After Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God. What is sin? Sin is doing life apart from him. Think about that. The writers of the New Testament said this, we can do nothing apart from him. For in him, we live and move and have our what? Being. Being. 
David understood this, and that's why in Psalm 51, verse 10, this is what David says. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Come on, I'm going to read that again. David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Can I preach for five more minutes while I still got five minutes? When David was praying this prayer, David was asking God to do what he knew he couldn't do. When David says, create in me a clean heart, do you know what David is saying? God, in Genesis 1, you created the heavens and the earth. Can I tell you something? Do you ever look around at how amazingly complex and wonderful and beautiful creation is? And can I tell you, as amazing it is, your heart is more complex than, than the world that you see David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If God had to create the heavens and the earth, trust me when I tell you, you can't create a clean heart within you. God has to do a creative act like he did in creation. He actually has to do a creative work where he goes and he cuts away some stuff and he's got to re, when God, when David says, create in me a clean heart, oh God, he's saying, I need you to do a creative miracle. Guys, listen, how many of you have been there? You know, you know, when you've been angry, say, God, why am I an angry person? You can't seem to become unangry. Or God, why can't I seem to shake this pride? God, why can't I seem to shake this habit or this mistake? And God says, I'll tell you why, because it's a heart issue. And it takes God getting to the core of the problem and remaking an individual to solve the problems. And so many times we're trying to treat the symptoms and change the behavior, which is good, but without addressing the heart issue. And David says, God, I need you to create a heart, a clean heart within me. You see, just knowing good from evil is not enough. That's right. Friday, as I was thinking about this message, I sat there and I thought about that. So many times we think if we get more informed, we'll do what's right. But you know what I realized? Knowing good and evil never helped me. As a matter of fact, the Bible says God told Adam and Eve, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know why? Because you're going to be conflicted. Did you know that we were only created to eat from the tree of life? Well, what's the knowledge of good and evil? That's what the law produced in us. Knowing what's right. And knowing what's evil and constantly doing what's wrong, but wanting to do what's right. How many, how many know before Christ, you tried to do what was right and it didn't work? Even after you came to Christ, just knowing what was right and wrong didn't help you. And I was talking to someone this, about, about this on Friday. I said, look, knowing good and evil is ultimately, it's good to know right from wrong. And it's good to know good from evil. But knowing, just knowing good from evil is not what's going to help us. What actually causes us to walk in victory is walking in the dynamic relational uh, spirit of intimacy with Jesus, who is the source of our strength, the source of our victory. Are you with me this morning? 
knowing, just knowing what's right and wrong is not going to help us. It's actually coming to a place where we draw our substance and our strength from the person of Christ himself. And God knew that. That's why, he, that's why we knew that the law could never justify us before God. It had to be Christ. But what so many times we do is this, and I'm, I'm about to close, is we start in grace. Because see, when, you and, when me and you got saved, here's what happened. Did you know that the Bible says that God gave you a new heart? Do you know the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 51? God actually did it for you the minute you got saved. Ezekiel, talking about the new covenant, said this. He says, I will create in them a new heart, a heart to know me. Right? Jeremiah talked about this new heart. When you got saved, the Bible says that God performed a circumcision on your heart. He said, I'm going to cut away the things. Grace did that. Amen? And so what happens is we start in grace. But then what we do is we go, oh, you know what? Okay. But now I got to go back to the law. And I think that just by knowing what's right, I'm going to be able to pull this off. I can straighten up my life. But God says, no, 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 no. See, when God creates in you a clean heart, whatever God creates, he has to sustain. God didn't create you a new heart within you and say, okay, now you go figure it out. No, he's, caught, he's saying, no, I've created a clean heart within you. Now abide in me. That's where the power comes from. The power comes from abiding. The power comes from just like we were singing today, walking with him, talking with him, and abiding in him. You know why? Because that heart, what happens is as you abide in Christ, he nurtures that heart, and he makes that heart. He actually begins to form your desires. He actually begins to change the desires of your heart. You know, he said in the Psalms, he goes, I will give you the desires of your heart. He didn't only mean that he will give you what your heart desires. He said, no, I'll actually give you the desires in your your heart because he begins to mold you and shape that heart as you abide in him but what happens is this if we try to rely on religion and we're, we're trying to change ourselves in our own strength it doesn't work and it ends up producing the same result if we try self-reliance you know what i'm going to pick myself up by my own bootstraps i'm going to do this on my own strength it doesn't work and what repentance does repentance brings us back into an alignment where it says god i don't know what i was thinking i you know i i need you to raise me to life again. I need you to resurrect my life. I need you to straighten me up. I need you to help me. I can't be a husband. Listen, I can't be a husband without you. I can't be a father without you. I can't, listen, I can't even love you without you. I can't walk another step without you. I have to have you. God, I'm sorry for doing things my way. I'm sorry for thinking that I could do this life apart from you. That's the beauty of repentance is that it brings us back into an alignment. Would you stand with me? I'm, I can't believe it, I'm out of time. I, got, I only got to half of this. Can I say this? I really felt this on my heart as, as our altar workers are coming. I really felt on my heart for someone with this message that there's someone out here, you say, you know what, I have tried everything. 
And there are, there are some of us who feel like we're hitting a ceiling and hitting a glass. Can't break through. And you know what? You know what I wrote down? Are you ready for, the, you ready for this profound thought? Brothers and sisters. You, what you need is you need the grace of God. The grace of God is not just unmerited favor. The grace of God is not just forgiveness. The grace of God is the abiding power of Christ working in you. The grace of God is the divine influence upon the human heart. So while you're over here wrestling and saying, I got to change myself, Jesus is saying, why are you trying to do what only I can do? You know, what, you know what the word the Lord gave me for someone today? The Lord said, he doesn't actually need you to try harder. He needs you to surrender more. Do you understand? That's the power of repentance. Is that why you're shadow boxing with yourself? He says, you know what I really need you to do? Is I need you to get on your knees. And I need you to give up. And I need you to say, God, I need your grace. I can't change me. I've tried. I need you to do with only your power. Yes, Yes, it involves our participation, but understand this. He's the healer. He's the physician. He's the savior. And he wants to, he, how many know that he's good at saving? He's good at delivering. And I don't know who this is for today, but I felt this. God is saying, look, you've tried everything else. Try repentance. Give up religious behavior and motion. Give up just trying to help yourself and trust him to do what only he can do. When you start praying those prayers of repentance in your life, you're giving God permission to bring the power and the healing touch of his grace. Would you please come join me here at at this altar, please, as we close this morning. Let's just come in a spirit of worship. Man, I hope this helped somebody. Did this help anybody today? Listen to what David said. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken spirit and contrite heart these oh God you will not despise you know what God said he said I don't I don't want you to bring a sacrifice I want you to be the sacrifice you know because you know what we can get good at doing God I'll throw up a sacrifice of worship but if I withhold my life from you right or let me say it another way God I'll throw up worship But if I don't allow you to deal with my heart, if I don't allow you to deal with the brokenness of my heart, if I don't allow you to deal with the need of repentance in my heart, then guess what? Nothing changes. See, God's presence and his power will touch you, but repentance will transform you. Right? 
So would you lift your hands with me this morning? My heart was so heavy. My heart was so heavy for someone. I could be preaching this message for one person today. I don't know. All I know is God was telling me to tell some, someone here today to stop trying to save yourself. Stop trying legalism. And come to the grace of God. I'm praying right now for every every husband in here, every wife, every family, every marriage, every home. Father, we're just praying, God. I, I, I thank you, God, for a spirit of repentance. And I thank you, God, that that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. God, where we've been selfish, where we've tried things our own way, where, we, where God, our, our sin has, has wrecked havoc in our life or on other people. God, I'm praying that you would lead us into repentance, God, so that we can be forgiven, so we can be healed, so that we can be made whole. God, I thank you, God, for restoring marriages. I thank you for restoring families. I, you know what repentance does? It not only brings alignment with God, it brings alignment with each other. God, I'm praying for alignment with you, but I'm also praying alignment with our families and our relationships. Father, do what only you can do, God.